the only thing worse than a root canal is looking for a job on the internet. Hello everybody, this is Anthony Moore with Career Daily. I am here to put the human back in human resources. Let me be your competitive advantage on the job market. It is dog eat dog out there. Our research companies, new industries, I'll dig around, I'll figure out who some of the hiring leaders are, and I'll post all this information on our exclusive Facebook networking group. You'll also hear amazing interviews from professionals that I'm interviewing all across the country. Some are inspiring. Some are very informative. Some duds. I'll leave the duds out. Stay tuned for today's episode. Welcome to Career Daily. Today, I'm joined by a global supply chain executive. He was the corporate VP of sales, global logistics and distribution for UPS, one of the world's largest supply chain firms based here in Atlanta. He's also been a supply chain consultant designing and implementing strategies and business process to help his clients deliver net revenue growth. Welcome in, Mike Turner. Tony, thank you very much for the kind introduction. I look forward to the dialogue and appreciate the format that you have for today's discussion. Well, I tell you, a lot of us had not even really thought about the supply chain until we walked into the grocery stores and the shelves were empty. And that kind of got us all thinking, you know, what's going on? We're used to just seeing this endless supply of paper products, but apparently uh, there is something called the supply chain and it's been uh, drastically affected. It has, and what's interesting and really phenomenal for any supply chain professional current and going forward is that the term supply chain and logistics is on the top of mind for politicians, for business leaders, for the general public, for professionals within the industry, for your frontline workers. So I think that this is a, obviously we've got to be concerned about what's happening today with the COVID-19 process and the health of everyone and getting an, you know, an anecdote uh, or a solution out there for the health of our people. Uh, but the forward-looking aspect of this is how supply chain has now become and will continue to become a viable and critical aspect of our day-to-day lives. Now you understand that there is a supply chain component to it. There is a process that has to get that merchandise into that particular environment. It used to be a scenario uh, where a retailer would never have an empty shelf. They would spend a significant amount of time, energy, money, uh, expediting merchandise if needed uh, to get uh, that good into uh, market and on the store shelves. And that was a KPI that every supply chain professional would never want to have where there's an empty space on the shelf. Yeah, I'm sure that's a big no-no for a store manager or for a general manager to see uh, an empty an empty shelf at, at any point. But before we really get into all of this, Mike, because you're the expert and we're, I'm really looking forward to just learning and becoming educated and helping you know all the listeners kind of figure out more about this industry. And, and honestly, you know, you've had a great career in this space, and I think it's a it's an industry we should all look at uh, to advance our careers. But, you know, just tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you're you're based in Atlanta. This is where, you know, UPS has, has been and you've had the majority of your career there. But just tell us a little bit about, you know, how you how your career got started, where you're from. Just let us know a little bit more about you. Uh, thanks for that, Tony. I spent over 30 years with UPS. It was uh, 
a company I started with in my college days. Uh, UPS is very much known for promotion from within. Uh, so I was a sophomore in college when I started on the front line unloading uh, trailers, like most people in that manual type of, of work. Went into part-time management and full-time management within the operational side of the equation with UPS. I got my degree in marketing. And then a long time ago, UPS uh, wanted to get further into the sales process. So I got pulled over into uh, the sales organization for UPS, and that is selling uh, ground moves, uh, your air moves, uh, other type of products that are within a small package environment. And I did, Tony, every job in sales uh, at the frontline level, uh, got to a manager. One of the things uh, in my career I'm, I'm most proud of is my time frame as a national account manager for Chrysler Corporation. That was where I really cut my teeth in the supply chain process. I became a manager, moved up to a director, uh, did that in two different areas, South Carolina and Northern California. I became a VP and then moved from Atlanta back to Southern California as well as vice president. Uh, and then came back to the corporate office. You mentioned here in Atlanta uh, for a stint here as well in the corporate office. And then I went into supply chain space where I was managing the global logistics and distribution process for clients within the UPS supply chain organization, distribution, warehousing, uh, transportation management for clients, not just in the U.S., but in other parts of the world as well. I, I'm just I'm still just trying to wrap my head around how amazing it is that you started as a soft. You said a sophomore in high school, did you say? No, sophomore in college, the University of Toledo. And yeah, I mean, I wish I did high school. They weren't. Yeah, back then. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They they probably would frown upon a, a 17 year old working, but uh, that's a, that is really incredible, and I think it's just inspirational for people to know. You know, you can start working at a great company, really at any level, and just hard work, ingenuity, perseverance, and obviously opportunities opened up, and you took advantage of them. So there's there's no shame in starting at the bottom. I mean, obviously that's you have to start somewhere, and I think that's. Uh, I just think it's amazing that you literally started uh, at the front line and moved into a, a VP role. So I just think that's uh, that's a great story. Well, thank you for that. And, and having a healthy degree of curiosity, asking questions and doing more than what your current job uh, required of you. Uh, you got to certainly do the current job well, but just trying to figure out what else you can do to help. Uh, being uh, inquisitive about where things are, why things are, are done, done a certain way, and then demonstrating leadership at all levels. Sometimes we think of leadership with a title, uh, but leadership does not have a title, as you know. That happens at all different levels, and demonstrating that can make a difference for you as you move through your career. Yeah, that's a great point. You don't necessarily, you don't have to have the title to begin acting and and demonstrating those uh, those qualities and those traits. Well, listen, I, I appreciate the overview. I think it helps give people a little better understanding um, of, of kind of who you are. Well, let's just kind of jump into it. I, again, I, I'd love to hear just in general, what is supply chain or what is this global supply chain that we've all been kind of forced to look at now? Uh, supply chain is the aspect of moving uh, goods from point A uh, to point B from the origin point to the end user using a complex set of either assets uh, or technology, people in the process. So I'll give an example. We all have phones in our hands. Uh, and a great supply chain example would be uh, the process for our phone. And I'll try to be brief with this, but 
you know, Apple, as, as an example, sources their uh, products from Asia. They've got component contract manufacturers who do the uh, work of putting the phone together through the design work from Apple over in Asia. The reason they chose Asia uh, is because they do it well, first of all, but then it's a low-cost manufacturing environment. That's a whole t- different topic of conversation, but they chose the Asian environment to do their production process. That merchandise gets produced there. When it's ready to be released, it goes to the trucking environment uh, from uh, the origin point in Asia uh, to the port. It then perhaps gets flown. So you've got an air freight component. So there's an air freight company. Uh, I know they use UPS. So UPS air freight brings that merchandise over. Uh, and then it goes, let's say, to California. And it arrives at the port in California. It gets offloaded. It gets trucked again to a warehouse environment to where it is staged in different parts of the U.S. Because one of the things that Apple does with their phone releases is that they want every store to get that phone at the same time so that the consumers walk in and you don't have an advantage at their stores. So you have a small package component to where you are transporting merchandise at different time frames and staging it for arrival at the stores on a consistent basis. So there's coordination of that aspect from a logistics standpoint. So that merchandise arrives in the store ready for purchase. And then once that happens, there's typically a back-end component for the refill of follow-up orders that oftentimes might come via ocean from Asia over to the U.S. versus on the air side because of the expense of air. You now want to downgrade that to get it into an ocean environment. So you have all these complex components coming together uh, to work to get the goods from point A to point B. Uh, in a way that allows the consumer to purchase what they need at a given time frame. With this disruption in the in the supply chain, we didn't necessarily see that with uh, with phones, but we we did see it happen with you know the paper products. I've heard politicians and I've heard other companies say, you know, we need to start redesigning and maybe thinking about moving a quote unquote global supply chain and making it more local, right? Uh, reestablishing a supply chain, maybe moving it away from China or from, from some from some of these other areas. You know, tell us a little bit about what what kind of a of a task is that? That's a monumental task because as a consumer, we all want the lowest cost products. You think about electronics. The cost of an electronic item five years ago is probably half of what it is today. The cost of a printer five years ago is, is half or much, even much less than what it is today. So what happens with the manufacturers or the companies that sell these products is that, Tony, they're always chasing the lowest cost opportunity from a manufacturing standpoint. We all want as many products as we can to be manufactured and made in the U.S. But today's infrastructure will drive the cost up if that occurs. So I agree that we have to start determining how we look at our model from a sustainability standpoint to not necessarily have the majority of goods coming from one location and spreading that instead of out of Asia. Maybe you go to Mexico, some here in the U.S. as well. But it is a complex and monumental process to make that shift without costs going up across the board, not just for the companies, but for us as consumers as well. And that needs to be looked at. Now, you mentioned something there, sustainability. Now, we hear that word used in lots of different scenarios. Can you maybe go into that a little more in detail when you say sustainability? What, what does that mean in terms of supply chain? Well, there's a couple of different aspects of sustainability. One is in reference to business continuity. 
So if I have a disruption in one part of a geography, as you know, they're all things, they're all kind of weather events happening around the world. We tend to focus on what's happening to us locally uh, as it affects me and my day-to-day process, but there's all kind of things happening around the globe from a weather standpoint. So one part of sustainability and business continuity is that if I have a, a disruption in one part of the geography from a manufacturing process, I can then move that or shift that production to another part uh, of that geography and still get merchandise moving. That happens today in the U.S., where if you've got six different distribution plants and there's some redundancy in those environments and there's a weather event in one part of the country, you want to be able to move or shift some of that inventory from another location to still get those goods to market without having a disruption uh, for the consumer. That's one part of sustainability. The other part, Tony, is in reference to the environment, the world we live in, and what we call the circular economy, and how merchandise that I may produce and manufacture gets returned back into my infrastructure so that I can minimize waste, minimize landfill, minimize things that are impacting the environment. And as you know well, the consumer of tomorrow Millennials coming into the decision-making process are going to absolutely be much more concerned about whether that company has a sustainability model in reference to the context of how they do business or not. And I think that's going to start to determine who does business with whom based on how their model of sustainability works for the overall environment and how we do business overall. Yeah, that's a lot more complex than just, okay, we want to you know, shift, let's say, medical supplies from being produced overseas and and bring them here, but you've now added in components of weather. And if there is a weather environment, now you have to have alternative sites or locations that can pick up the production. So not only do you have to have like supply chain A, you have to have like, sounds like supply chain B as a just in case. And then, oh, by the way, what kind of a environmental footprint are we making? Because I mean, you're right. The consumer of the future is going to be concerned, but let's face it. I mean, people are concerned about that now. I guess it's one thing to say, yeah, we want to bring, you know, manufacturing back to the U.S., but it it sounds like that is a, a monumental task. But I think at the same time, it got me thinking there's probably, you know, opportunities for people to have careers and kind of develop because of this changing landscape. And, you know, I hope we can kind of get into that a little bit today as well in terms of what those changes are going to look like and maybe where the opportunities might, you know, might exist. But before we get into that, I did have a few more questions about supply chain in general. I'd like to kind of learn maybe the difference between like an outsource solution or an insourcing solution. I've heard that used in terms of supply chain, you know, companies that are vertically integrated versus companies that just kind of outsource it all. Maybe you could kind of walk us through just how a company goes about structuring how they want to manage this process. There are so many different combinations and variations of how a company may want to do that, but I'll give you a couple of examples. In the medical industry, typically healthcare, the healthcare company that does the research and manufacturing and production of uh, that healthcare item, that pharmaceutical item, typically that company wants to focus their energy, resources, intellectual capital, all of that intensity wants to be on how I get that medical item 
past the FDA and ready for consumption in the market. Typically, those companies don't want to have an additional resource application around how you get the merchandise distributed. So when I was with UPS uh, in our supply chain group, a large percentage of our industry share was in the healthcare space because these type of companies want to outsource. You really outsource for two reasons. Very simple. One is I don't have the expertise uh, to do that type of work in my organization. Or two, I don't want to do it. So either I don't have the resources or I don't want to do it. Uh, and because in either of those scenarios, then you go to an outsourced environment where you bring an expert in and they align with your business process. And when you are doing your distribution, transportation, warehousing, or storage, I work with the manufacturing organization to understand what their requirements are and how long I store it, what the condition is, where I store it, the regulatory environment associated with that, the distribution environment, the transportation component, I can go on. All those things are, com are comprised of an outsourcing agreement. There are other companies who decide that that type of activity, I can do it well within my own four walls. So I'm not only producing the product, but I'm also distributing the product as well. And many times in your retail environment, where sometimes the component parts are not as complex, you don't have the same regulatory uh, hurdles that you need to have in a healthcare environment. Some of those organizations tend to want to do all of that work that they can within their own environment and then only tender the last mile to a UPS or a competitor uh, of UPS for final distribution. So that company who is a retail uh, organization tends to want to do everything uh, themselves because they don't have the same regulatory hurdles. The cost of the product production process is a little bit lower and you can then own the entire process of your design and your distribution, your warehousing, and then you would tender the merchandise from a last mile standpoint to a company like UPS to finish uh, the distribution to the consumer. So it all depends upon the complexity of the merchandise and how organizations view their desire to own that piece of the cost of goods from either a variable cost when you can outsource it or it becomes uh, a uh, standard cost of their, their model if they're owning the entire process. That makes perfect sense because you're right. In a healthcare environment, you're dealing with the FDA. You've got all these regulatory issues that you just do not need the headache, the hassle, the mental energy, and the assets you'd have to put into managing your own supply chain. And it made me think, I, I remember back when Walmart was really kind of storming the scene and, and taking over and it seemed to me that they actually had a competitive advantage within their own supply chain, their own logistics, their own methodology for delivering products and getting you know those goods to market very quickly. And I think that is exactly what you're saying when you've got a, a non-complex product, it can become a competitive advantage when you can manage that process. So I think you've I think you've kind of cleared that up for us in terms of why you might insource or outsource. I think that's a great a great overview there. Thanks. One of the key parts of why you and I are together today is really to discuss some of the career aspects of the supply chain process. That's why people are here today. They really are, tr are trying to figure out 
how can they start their career or advance their career, you know, kind of get into this new space? So here's an interesting data point for you. The supply chain industry in that space is a trillion dollar market. And I did say trillion. When you think about transportation and the transportation of the goods and the warehousing of the goods, uh, those two components uh, dictate the spend within that category of the market. So let's take an example again of that merchandise coming from Asia over into the U.S. and some of the different disciplines that are involved in that entire process. You have the IT component because within that movement of those goods, you have to have connectivity of that entire process. You have a financial component because you want to understand uh, as a manufacturer, distributor, uh, whomever you are in the process, how much that is going to cost me from point A to point B, because I now need to pull that into the overall cost that I pass on to the consumers who are purchasing my products. There is a risk component to it. Ultimately, there's a chain of custody. When merchandise Tony leaves the origin point in the contract manufacturer, it goes to a trucking company, that handoff happens, it goes to an air freight company, that handoff happens, it goes to the next trucking company. So you get my point, there's a disintermediate process in play and all these different players have a component of risk. So there's a risk component. There is a security component. Merchandise that is high value, you have to track and understand where your parts are in process because any of, any of that loss can actually impact your bottom line and impact your ability to get merchandise uh, to market. There is a human resource aspect. You have to have people who are managing these processes in between. And then you certainly have an operational component as well uh, because there are individuals that are in these different operations who are touching the pieces of the process to ensure goods are moving along that line. And then lastly, you have a strategy component because you need to determine, someone needs to determine the overall picture in reference to how you're going to get your goods to market, to what degree and what capacity, what lane, what mode. All those variations require planning. Each one of these disciplines have different levels of and different layers of management, but all of them provide opportunity for individuals to come into the supply chain space and have an opportunity to define where they can add value depending upon the discipline they want to take on. Yeah, you bring up a good point because you've got uh, all the other kind of functions you mentioned that I think are transferable. I think we both agree, you know, IT, finance, risk management, security, HR, and, and there's others. Those are transferable skill sets because those those are needed in that in that organization. But then you get into operations and the strategy. These are actually supply chain professionals. Yeah. So I'll, I'll frame it this way because you have to add your sales and marketing organization to this as well. But you have your operational team and then you have your non-operational team. And that's how you split uh, the discipline and reference to individuals and how typically companies uh, look at where they place their different resources. For someone who wants to actually get into the operations and they're, they're really interested in supply chain, they don't have that skill set. Do they have to go back to school? Is this something where they can maybe get a certificate? I think the operational side of the equation, Tony, is a great place to start for some individuals. There are certain disciplines that are going to require 
uh, a four-year or a master's degree per se. From an IT standpoint or a sales and marketing perspective, maybe on the finance side, some of these different disciplines, they're looking for individuals or the engineering component because someone has to design the whole uh, process around how merchandise is moving or inside and or outside a warehouse location. Companies tend to look for individuals that have degrees in those areas, but sometimes on the operational side, you can step into that space if you are someone who has, has done an operational process before, you're good at managing people, you're good at managing resources, you are hands-on day-to-day because you have to be in that operation to ensure that things are happening at the origin, you know, in the inside component where you bring your merchandise in and or on the distribution side where you're shipping merchandise on uh, you know, out to customers. So I think you can operate or come in that space if you've got some operational experience. And then one of the things that I think is important to do is even if you don't have a degree, what are, and you mentioned this before, Tony, what are some certificates or certifications that you can actually augment uh, your operational experience as you go forward? Maybe it doesn't require a four-year degree, but it could be that I take a supply chain class uh, that allows me to better understand what the supply chain process is. Maybe I take a class that helps me from a quality standpoint, uh, or we all know that sometimes you need to have process improvement. So there is Six Sigma or a process improvement class and get a certification in that side of the equation. And then the last thing I'll say is cybersecurity. Uh, security is obviously physical on the front line, but also cybersecurity is a major concern for all of us. So can you get a certificate there? So all these different ancillary pieces you could do as you come into an organization, maybe from the operational side, you can go up that angle. But if you then augment your skills in other areas, you can also have some movement within the organization. Tell us a little bit more about that operational side. So again, from an operational standpoint, you are managing the day-to-day. You're managing resources, individuals within the warehouse. You also are potentially managing drivers that are coming in and dropping merchandise off. So you have to manage that aspect. You're also managing the outbound shipping and distribution process because that merchandise, it gets put away in shelves, depending upon how long you need to store it or racking. And then you also have to manage merchandise that's going out as well. So time critical, managing the operation, ensuring that these different parts uh, play a role in how you get merchandise in and out of the warehouse is a part of that operational role. The track that you move from an operational standpoint is, let's say you start as an operating supervisor. You can go to a manager for that location. A director can be a director over more than one location. That next step is typically a vice president of operations where he or she manages uh, maybe a geography, for example. From there, you can even move into a senior vice president role where you're managing more than one geography from a U.S. or maybe you're also all over Europe as well or Asia. And then there is a chief supply chain officer role that is now a part of the C-suite of most organizations. I would say 10 years ago, that role did not even exist uh, from a CSO standpoint or a chief supply chain officer standpoint, but now it does. So there's a whole lineage that individuals can do once they get into an operational side of the equation where they can move up the ranks within an organization. Okay, Mike, we're back. I know we had a little bit of a technical issue there. As you were just saying, it's great when it works. 
I can only imagine trying to uh, keep the technology in, in place for a global supply chain. We can't even keep a podcast running. <laughs> it happened. Well, listen, as we're kind of wrapping up, I, I want to make sure we discuss a little more in detail, though, about these kind of core competencies or kind of core traits and skills that people might be using and they might have in their current jobs that are not quote unquote supply chain that are transferable over into operations. Cause it sounds like operations, you know, has a lot of opportunity, you know, outside of say finance or it sales and marketing that separate from that talking operations, help us understand what are some of the core skills that people might be involved with? Like, you know, dealing with things that are time sensitive organization, engineering, you know, help us understand a little bit better that aspect. Well, Tony, what's interesting is that you said it well, there are transferable core skills that I think individuals will have from whatever current position they're at today that can easily be facilitated within a supply chain profession. And those skills are both technical and what we all know are soft skills. So some technical skills, for example, project management, cost accounting skills, Ability to understand financial statements. When you're running an operation, many times you own the entire profit and loss of that location, that facility. So understanding the financial statements, you have to troubleshoot a problem solve. Uh, you have to have good ethics uh, because obviously if you're reporting and things and, you, and you're working within a the business, they want you to report accurate information, detailed information, and you have to make sure it's authentic based on what you are communicating. We all operate in a multicultural environment today. So having understanding of cross-cultural issues or even global issues, and then leading people and having an empathetic and an emotionally intelligent way of how you lead people. Um, because at the end of the day, we may have all the technology we need, but people still are going to be a part of your process. And I think those are some technical, I'd say, transferable skills that you want to have. And then just in, in reference to some soft skills, these are, and these are not unique to the supply chain space, but time management, vision, you know, your desire to learn. How do you present yourself with, with confidence? How do you pass on knowledge and mentoring through, through leadership and other areas? And then we all operate, as you know well, in team-based environments. So how do you operate cross-functionally from a team standpoint to ensure we're bringing the best of the business and the best for your clients you're serving uh, to the marketplace each day. I hope that helps a little bit. These are transferable things. Some of them are unique, you know, not necessarily unique to the supply chain process. And when you want to transfer over, you certainly have those things in play and you should be successful. No, I, I think that is really what we needed because if you're already in supply chain management, then you're already sort of an expert. You're working in this field and you're just going to continue to advance. But this is really also about people who are now just being introduced into it and they might think, well, I'm not in a quote unquote supply chain role. How can I even get in? I think you've given people now the confidence to see that there's a lot of skills and traits that you're currently using right now that if you pay attention, you might see that some of these skills that are required to be successful in operations you do have. And as I've talked about in other podcasts, talking about how to design your resume, how to present the theme of what it is that you do really well, you would want to include in your theme about what you do really well are these core skills and traits that Mike has just been mentioning. And then you can be 
begin to look to the hiring professional as though you've got a lot of the skills that we do need. We can train you in some of these other areas because as you say, you can't train people in ethics. You can't train people in honesty. And if you are just a naturally curious person, you're great at solving problems and you understand financials. I mean, you're bringing 75% of what they need and they could say, here's a great person. We'll give them that other 25% because they have the actual operational uh, expertise in house. So I think that's, that's fantastic. Is there anything else that you, you, you want to mention? I know we've, we've kind of used a big, broad brush here, Mike, and you've been fantastic. Um, anything else that you want to kind of close or, or finish with? If I could, because one of the things you brought me on is, is talk about the entire career process. And I was given a bit of advice from a chief supply chain officer previously, and he gave me the term, the three C's that he was looking for in reference to people coming into his organization. And those three C's are competence. So ultimately, are you competent? Do the skills you have match the job you may be looking for? Your character. So obviously your references, how you worked in your previous role, the fact that individuals believe you are the same person you, you know you are, and you said it well, you, you operate with honesty, integrity, those kind of things that every company wants. And the other part that he talked about was chemistry. And it's not about likability factor. It is, do I feel that I can get on the front lines with this person or at 11 o'clock at night, I'm working on a project and I can work alongside this person. That chemistry aspect, which is subjective in some cases, is also what individuals look for when they're trying to bring someone on board into their organization. So that person can augment the culture, not disrupt the culture. Yeah, that's an excellent point. This uh, chemistry of, of can you work with someone is not to be underestimated because no matter how big a company is, no matter how wonderful their employer brand is or candidate experience is, if you go into a role and you're working and you have zero chemistry with the people that you're trying to work with, you're not going to last. You're not going to want to stay there. You're not going to feel appreciated. And frankly, you probably wouldn't even be hired in the first place. But if that lack of chemistry develops, that's what eventually forces people out of a quote unquote great organization. So the three C's, competency, character, chemistry, uh, very, very important. And I think everyone needs to have that, frankly, part of their interview repertoire to kind of bring these skills out to let people know that, that they have them. Now, just as a reminder to everybody, if you're not currently in our exclusive Facebook networking group, I encourage you to do so because you probably have some questions that have now come up that you can ask in the group and we can get them answered. And we might, uh, if Mike is so kind, he might even join the group as well. Questions come in, he can answer them. But that's what the Facebook group is there for so we can continue the conversation online and that's where we can find um our other members. And, and Mike, again, thank you so much for your time, uh, your insight. And I'm sure we're going to have uh, additional conversations with you in the future. Tony, thank you. I appreciate the platform and I'm glad I can add value to the dialogue and your subject today. Excellent. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.